I like the way that low note on the organ resonates, don't you? <laughs> you can feel it. The second largest nation in the world is the People's Republic of China. They used to be the largest, but now they've been surpassed barely by India. Both of those nations have more than 1.4 billion people apiece. Some years ago, Pastor Leith Anderson, some members of his church, were in Beijing and decided to attend a worship service at the state-approved Christian church, also known as the Three Self Church. And he describes it like this. He says it was in an old building built around the turn of the 20th century. We had a translator there. There were hymns sung. Some of them were to Western tunes, which we knew. They read the Bible. They had prayers. There was a sermon, a Bible teaching that I thought was fine. But they're not allowed to evangelize. That's part of the deal with the state. You can do your thing as long as your thing doesn't include persuading somebody else. He says there are tens of millions of Christians in the People's Republic of China who have chosen not to be part of the Three Self Church and meet in house churches instead because they're convinced you can't be a Christian unless you evangelize. They say that the two go together. And if you don't evangelize, you're not a Christian. They would say that those who are in the three self church are really not Christians as far as the New Testament definition is concerned. And there's a lot of truth in that. Jesus' mission is to seek and to save the lost. And Christians are to be on that mission with him. This morning we're going to learn something of what it means to be on mission with our master by looking at the mission on which Jesus sent his 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10. I invite your attention there with me. We'll read the first 10 verses of that chapter in just a moment. And as we do, and as we go through it in the sermon this morning, I want you to take note of the, the message of the mission, the ministry of the mission, and the means of the mission. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Don't take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. 
Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Thank you. Please be seated. Now this message, or this uh, mission on which Jesus sent his disciples had a, f- a few unique aspects to it. For example, Jesus gave them special authority in verse 1 to exorcise unclean spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. That was unique. And the mission also was restricted to the Israelites. Jesus told them not to go among the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but to stick with the the lost sheep of Israel. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is this mission was limited in its time and in its scope. They wouldn't have time to cover any more than that. That would be enough. But also because the Jews, Israel, if you will, has a position of priority in salvation history. The Jews were the first group to whom God addressed himself in the plan of his redemptive history. And so the Jews deserve first opportunity to hear the message. It's part of the reason the Apostle Paul went to the synagogues before he went to the marketplaces. In Romans chapter 1, he explicitly says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. So they have a priority of position in salvation history. Those were some unique things about the mission, but one universal aspect about the mission is the message. The message of the mission is found in verse 7. Jesus told them, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. It was the same message that Jesus had been preaching back in chapter 4. It says, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He is described as having embarked on preaching the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom is that the kingdom has become available to us through the person of Jesus Christ. That if we will repent of our sins, trust in him and his death on the cross for our sins, we can be saved. We can have eternal life. That is the message of the mission. It always has been since the very beginning. It always will be. And that message has not changed. It's the message preached by Jesus and the apostles after him and many down through the generations after them. The apostle Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And we deliver the message that we have received. And it's the same one. It's good news. The kingdom of God has come near. There is hope in Jesus Christ. That is the message of the mission. And like the 12, we also are commissioned by Christ. We find that in what we call the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where we're told to go and make disciples of all nations, not just the Israelites, but all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things 
that Jesus taught them and teaches us. That is our commission to proclaim the message. And that's what it means to evangelize, to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. That's what the the word means, by the way. Evangelism, evangelize. It's just a Greek word that we've brought straight into English. And it means good announcement or good news or benevolent proclamation, however you want to put it. It's good news that the kingdom has come near. It is available to us. That's evangelism. And the believers in those Chinese house churches don't think you're a Christian unless you do it. Well, not only should we do it to demonstrate our faith, but there is an urgency to it in our generation, I think. A few years ago, I heard a very sobering statistic. It was included in some of the materials for one of our missions offerings. I don't remember which. But it said this, if current trends continue, nine out of 10 children, 18 years and younger, will not surrender their lives to Christ by adulthood. Nine out of 10. And other statistics tell us that more than 80% of all people who do come to Christ do so before the age of 18. So it doesn't take a math genius to recognize that we're on the brink of losing an entire generation. And if you think secularism rules the day now, imagine what it might be like 30 years from now. So it is urgent that we share the message of the mission. Those statistics are part of the reason we invest what we do in our preschool and children and student ministries to try to to change that trend, to reverse that trend, because there is an urgency that we share this message. But the mission involves not only a message, it also involves a ministry. Jesus didn't just preach, you know, he also ministered. He ministered to people's needs. The, The same thing was supposed to characterize the ministry of the 12. Verse 8 describes it. Jesus puts it pretty straightforwardly. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Their ministry was an extension of Jesus' ministry because these are the same things the gospel describes Jesus as doing. Uh, One of those statements is back at the end of chapter 4 of Matthew. Jesus Drove out unclean spirits. He healed all manner of sickness and disease. And he was empowering them to do the same thing. Their ministry was an extension of Jesus' ministry. And when you and I minister to others in Jesus' name, it is an extension of Jesus' ministry as well. We're engaged in the same thing. Now you might say to me, Pastor, I can't remember the last time I cast out any demons. Or raise anyone from the dead? Well, don't let that bother you. For reasons very important at the time, Jesus gave the apostles specific authority to do some things that he doesn't seem to have given to us. Not that miracles don't still happen. They do. And verifiably. But God seems to operate more under the radar now than he did then. There were 
There were very important reasons that Jesus and God empowered his followers to do these things because it was necessary to validate this new message that had been delivered. But though we may not have the authority to perform physical miracles, we minister in Jesus' name nonetheless. For example, I may not be able to heal the sick, but... In Jesus' name, I contribute through our church's budgets to efforts that provide medical care to those who otherwise couldn't get it. Just a month ago, the dollars that come through our offerings helped send a team to Guatemala. They saw hundreds of patients in their medical clinic, uh, scores of patients in the dental clinic, people who never visit the doctor except during that mission week. And our giving helped to do that, healing the sick. And there are physicians and dentists, of course, in our church who can do even more direct ministry to heal the sick in Jesus' name. My wife may not be able to raise the dead, but in Jesus' name, she's helped drug-addicted clients get sober who have later told her, you saved my life. Now that's akin to raising the dead, isn't it? You may not be able to cast out unclean spirits, but in Jesus' name, you can introduce people to a Savior who can, who can make them whole again. As a church and as individual Christians, Jesus has commissioned us as ministers of his gospel. One of the five basic purposes of our church, and every church really, is to minister to human needs in the name of Jesus. It's ensconced in the pavement right outside our main entrance along with the other four. Worship, evangelism, discipleship, and fellowship. Ministry and missions is one of the purposes for which we exist. Jesus has commissioned us to minister in his name. And we have to do it. Not only because Jesus did it. We have to do it because it is the ministry that validates the message. The ministry validates the message. If we want people to believe the message, we have to minister. Because as it is often said, they won't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And it's by ministry that we demonstrate how much we care. It's by ministry that a relationship of trust is formed so that they will open themselves up to hear the message of the mission. Good news, the kingdom is available to you. And our motivation for ministering to others is that we've been ministered to ourselves. At the end of verse 8, Jesus says, Freely you have received, so freely give. We receive the message without cost, We were given the opportunity to enter the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ by repentance and faith. It didn't cost us anything. It can't cost us anything because Jesus has already paid the price. He's already gone to the cross for us. It costs us nothing. We have received it freely. And Jesus says, because of that, give it to others just as freely. Freely you've received. Freely give. And so... We sacrifice for others because we are the recipients of sacrifice. We're just a 
the current generation of a long line of sacrifice, of broken bodies and shed blood going all the way back to Jesus who sacrificed himself on the cross for us. Being on mission with our master means ministry. Are you involved in ministry here at Central Baptist Church? If not, call us. We've got opportunities. Out there in the welcome corridor at the welcome desk, there is a brochure, Volunteers in Ministry. You can pick it up. You can see a a whole bunch of ministries here that you can get involved with. You can match up your gift to. You can be a minister in Jesus' name. We will help you with that. The job of of the pastors of this church is outlined in Ephesians chapter 4. It says that we are to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. We're all ministers. Congratulations. You are now a minister. If you didn't already know that. The mission has a ministry and we're to be engaged in it. The mission has a message, it has a ministry, but there is also something else that we need not overlook, and that is the means of the mission. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus speaks about it to the disciples. He says, don't take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Don't take a bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. So Jesus told the 12 to get their support from those to whom they ministered. And in every successive generation, pastors have been grateful that that verse is in the scripture. (laughs) Uh, Some churches seem to have overlooked it, though. Uh, It reminds me of a young pastor who was in his first church. And he asked the deacons if he could have $200 a month to pay someone to mow the grass and tend the flower beds on the church's property. And one of the old deacons said, uh, our former pastor did that himself. And the quick-thinking young pastor said, I know, I know he did, but I called him and he doesn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Everyone knows that a mission takes money. Jesus knew that. He knew that the disciples were wondering where that money was going to come from, so he told them where to get it, from those to whom they ministered, and not to feel guilty about it because, as he said, the worker is worth his keep. Now, this has a direct application to the funding of our mission here at Central Baptist Church as we ourselves try to do what Christ has commissioned us to do here. And it's not just about paying the the staff and the employees and all of that it applies to the whole program it takes money to provide those programs it takes money to do outreach it takes money to support missionaries to buy literature to pay the light bill to keep the air conditioner running to maintain buildings to provide space to reach people it takes money to do all of those things now if what we're doing is of no value then we shouldn't be doing it But if it is, we ought to support it. And I'm not telling you that because I think Jesus wouldn't if he were standing here with me. I'm convinced he would. 
He is here. He is telling us that through this passage, through this message. If this cause is important, if this mission is important, significant, then we ought to support it. But know this, giving to support the mission is as much a privilege as it is a responsibility. In verse 11, it suggests that recognizing that privilege and responding to it marks us as worthy participants in the mission. Verse 11 says, Jesus to the disciples, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. Jesus calls worthy those who receive the disciples and who support them in their mission. It is a worthy endeavor to support a worthy cause. And what cause on this green earth could be more worthy than the cause of Jesus Christ? None. It is the most worthy cause there is. So is money the means of the mission? In part. But on a more fundamental level, the means of the mission is faith. That's the bottom line. Jesus told the disciples not to provide their own security, but to depend by faith on those to whom they were going to be ministering. I've told you it takes money to do all that we do here as a church, but we have no guarantee that next week one thin dime is going to be dropped in these offering plates. None whatsoever. We carry on the mission by faith. We take each step by faith. We proclaim the message. We perform the ministry week by week solely on the faith that God will, through you, through me, and those to whom we reach, that God will provide the resources we need to carry on this mission. And for over a century and a half, 154 years to be exact, in this church, God has been faithful. And for two millennia in the church universal, God has been faithful. Have we any cause to think that God would abandon us now? Not if we stay focused on the mission. Not if we stay true to the mission. If we keep pursuing the mission that God has given us, God will provide for us. If we refuse to let ourselves get distracted by the traps of the evil one that he sets for us at every turn, trying to take our attention away from what the mission really is, then God will be faithful. God will provide through you, through me, through others that we reach. But if we let ourselves get distracted, if we start turning our heads aside to things that are ultimately of no significance, well, then we have no promises So let's stay focused on the mission. Let's stay true to the mission. Are you on mission with our master? Would you like to be? If so, then join us. Become one of us. Work with us as we work with Christ. Support the mission with your time and your talents and your treasure. Because, brothers and sisters, hear this. We are engaged in the greatest mission enterprise in the history 
of planet Earth. We are engaged in the greatest mission enterprise in the history of planet Earth. And on Christ's behalf, I invite you to become part of it. Proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. I want to close before I pray with a, with a quote from Elton Trueblood. I think it's absolutely true. I think it applies to what we're trying to do here as a church at Central Baptist. He said, what is most rewarding is doing something that really matters with congenial colleagues who share with us the firm conviction that it needs to be done. We're on mission with the master. It needs to be done. Is that your conviction? Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for calling us into your kingdom. Thank you for equipping us to serve in Jesus' name. Thank you for the multitude of blessings you've showered upon us. Lord, we are... We are among the most materially blessed people on earth. Thank you, God, for commissioning us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to carry on his mission on this earth. I pray, God, that you'd remind us of its significance, of its singular importance. Forgive us for the distractions we fall into along the way, the, the things that Take our attention away from where it ought to be. Help us, God, to remember the importance of the mission and join together as congenial colleagues in pursuing it together, knowing that there is little more rewarding in life than to do something such as that. Speak to us now, God, in this invitation time and move us to be better servants of yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation.